0: I want to begin with a word to those of you who are new to this community, relatively new. You've been here for about a month. And that word is congratulations. Congratulations on your successful transition into this place. Congratulations to the new students in particular on your successful completion of the August term which ended as of about 4.30 this afternoon with the conclusion of intercultural competency. It's no small task settling into a new community, into new work and study patterns, and for most of you, into a new residence. And honestly, I think you deserve a hand for that. So can we just give the new students a hand? (laughs) now, for the lesson. (laughs) Truth be told, I'm kind of mesmerized by our gospel passage in an odd sort of way. I don't know, but perhaps this year I'm reacting to all of the talk about masters and slaves in this gospel passage. It is no secret that the institution of slavery has left a painful legacy on this globe, in this country, in this state, at this very seminary. We have just passed the 400th anniversary of the arrival of enslaved Africans at Jamestown, Virginia. I myself grew up virtually in the shadow of the Wakefield Plantation in Westmoreland County, Virginia, where George Washington was born, and also in the shadow of the Stratford Hall Plantation, where Robert E. Lee was born and what that was the home of the Lee family. My childhood home was mere minutes away from the Numini Hall Plantation, where one of the family tutors, Philip Vickers Fithian, kept a journal in the late 18th century that is well known in American historiography for what it reveals about life in that time and place. Now, I don't know whether any of my ancestors worked on those plantations, but the point is this. I always felt that I was walking on hallowed ground where my people, whether or not they were my blood relatives had labored against their will. So when Jesus references slaves and masters, it does not seem abstract and distant to me, but rather it reminds me of that hallowed ground that I walked on as a child, watered with the blood, sweat, and tears of slaves. And the question with which I wrestle from time to time when I read something like this is, how can I understand and relate to a God who is likened to a slave master? And I sometimes think, Jesus, divine Logos, could you maybe have come up with a different set of words and images to describe what you wanted to say? But then again, why would he? Because of course, slavery, domination, and oppression, these were not abstractions for Jesus of Nazareth either. The Jewish people were no strangers to slavery, exile, and occupation. In the particularity of the incarnation, Jesus embraces the symbols and images, the metaphorical landscape, if you will, that carried deep meaning in his time and place. A time and place when human bondage was taken as a fact of life. Yes, really, Jesus really challenges us with his statement about what will happen to the bad slave. A statement about what will happen to those who lose sight of their higher priorities. The master of that slave will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I hear those words and I tend to get hung up on them as a punishment for me or for anybody else. Perhaps you do as well. You know, the slave beat up his peers and got drunk with his buddies. Okay, that's not good. But getting cut in pieces and thrown into a place of torment for that? I mean, the punishment appears completely out of proportion to the offense. Indeed, it seems meant to indicate not simply that actions have consequences, but to send a much more terrifying and brutal message. Jesus is trying to wake us up and shake us up with that gut level reaction to his words when we think of them as a potential punishment. But perhaps he does this because he wants us never to forget that there is already weeping and gnashing of teeth that was seen and heard daily throughout his world and that is seen and heard daily throughout ours today. We can hear it coming from a detention cell down at the border. We can hear it coming from Syria. We can hear it coming from Puerto Rico. But we need not go that far. Just take a little trip around this thriving metropolis. It's such a prosperous and economically vital area with so much wealth and power, but you don't have to go very far before you come across a brother or sister who's crying out for just a little something to eat. Or someone else who doesn't have enough fare to get them home on the metro. Or someone else who's lost a loved one to the barrel of a gun, or someone else whose despair has left them vulnerable to the ravages of addiction of one kind or another. These experiences are brutal and terrifying for the people who are going through them. It is unconscionable the level of poverty and insecurity and violence that we countenance in this land overflowing with dollar signs. And lest you get it twisted, I'm not assuming that everyone under the sound of my voice right now has been free of these kinds of experiences because it is quite possible that somebody here has been through what I'm talking about. Oh, but you and I know that this is not the end of the story. For it is into this world of struggle and woe that our Savior steps, bringing his truth and love and healing. And he stopped by this evening to teach us that in this world of struggle and woe, he's got some work for us to do. Real work in real lives of real flesh and real bone to be done without delay. We dare not overlook the fact that the slaves in tonight's parable were stewards of their Lord's possessions. The one who missed the mark was the one who neglected his responsibility to use what he had been given for the benefit of those around him. And do you know what this means? It means that it's not simply a nice, warm, and fuzzy idea that we should take care of others. It's the primary reason that God gives us anything to begin with. Yes, God gives us real gifts to do real work, for real people in a world that is full of weeping and gnashing of teeth. For a moment, just turn the page in your mind's eye to Matthew 25 when Jesus teaches about the coming of the Son of Man to judge the nations. And he says to the righteous, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous say, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And he answers them, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. I don't know about you, but I don't think this is some sort of standardized test of obedience. It's not like feeding the hungry plus healing the sick plus visiting prisoners equals salvation. No, he's saying to us there are some things that obviously need to be done. Get on with it. I've given you the power to feed and to clothe and to heal in my name. Get on with it. I've even given you the power to set people free from every kind of evil and bondage. Get on with it. Because in God's good time, there will be no slaves and no masters, but we'll just be shouting about God's love and grace. So yes, friends, I say it again, God gives us real power to do real work for real people as part of the unfolding of this creation And one of the biggest sins is if we look around at this hurting and hungry world and fail to use that power. Now, I fully admit I'm preaching to the choir. I'm not telling you anything that you you haven't heard before and that you don't already try to live by. But my prayer is that individually and as a body perhaps especially as a body as we come together for this academic year, that we will not be distracted from discerning the work that God has given us to do in such a time as this with the blessings that God has so richly provided. For that work helps to still the weeping and gnashing of teeth. That work shows the world that our Lord and our faith really are alive. And that work helps to make us truly whole. And let the church, the body of Christ, not cut into pieces but whole and gathered together in love to do our work. Let the church say, amen. Amen.